We're all in a good mood here today. I'm actually really happy right now. Really? Yeah. I can't tell. Why? (laughs) (laughs) It feels like it did when we first started the podcast. Like, for some reason, I just got this wave of uh, uh, similarity. No, of how it felt when we first started. Back in the honeymoon It was awards season, and the Oscars are here. Did it feel like that last year? The time change. No. It just feels like that right now. It feels like two years ago for me, for some reason. Just right now in this moment, I'm happy to be here with you. Wow. And record. Thanks, man. And we're here. The Oscar season is upon us. Yeah, it is. And uh, we were really close at uh, hitting all of the Best Picture nominations, but we missed a few. So we're going to be going back and covering... We did five out of eight? Ten. Five, five out of, or we just we did like seven out of ten. That's pretty We, we did, I think, like, yeah, six or seven out of ten. So we're going to be going back and covering the ones we missed. The make, best ones. Making full full episodes on all of them. Again, this is a celebration time. A celebration of film. And then afterward, we're going to touch on a few things that aren't Best Picture noms, but we still think are noteworthy, and then talk about the Oscars. So you just heard our Elden Ring podcast. Ooh. And here is our slew. Uh, you're going to see a bunch of blue on our... The blue slew. Yeah, the blue slew on our Spotify or wherever you guys listen to us. And what does that blue mean, Steve? It means movies. <gasps> wow. But what better way to start Oscar season talk on the cult podcast than with this film, Gabe? Yeah, absolutely right, Steve. <laughs> I think this is the best example of how far the oscars have digressed (laughs) what do you mean digressed you mean like in the last two to three years yeah this happens all the time this might be this might be the greatest film i've ever seen (laughs) that is the most perfect example of how some things just slip through the cracks <laughs> oh, no! and get nominated anyway. It blew the cracks wide open. <laughs> I have enjoyed this film the least out of, <laughs> out of most films I've seen in the last 10 years that have been nominated for Best Picture. How does it measure up to Nomadland, Stephen, in your mind? I mean, to be honest, Nomadland Here what, it comes. was... <laughs> Um, I can't even like, I'm trying to think of the most dramatic example I could find, but it was like Spielberg to heads and shoulders. Yes. It was like, Oh my God. Comparatively. So if this film wins best picture, what'll happen to you? We will never cover (laughs) the Oscars again on the cult podcast. And I'm serious. I will. We're (laughs) We're done. I'm done. (laughs) Fool me once. (laughs) Fool me twice. Shame on both of us. Fool me thrice. It's it's over. Well, I'm not. I can't do it anymore. You feel very strongly about this. Let me just say. Let me. Let's start off by saying we haven't even said the name of the film yet. I don't think. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> you leave it up to the the audience to guess what we're talking. Just put about. a question mark like the Riddler on oh, no. the name of the film today. Well, it'll be immediately obvious once we start talking about. This is in the traditional cult podcast fashion. This will be an analysis episode as far as we can analyze this film to where... <laughs> but you're going to love that. We're just going to talk about the filmmakers and why it's nominated and analyze that. So, Gabe, 
Yeah. What are we doing today? Today, we're talking about CODA. Which stands for? Well, children. Child, children of deaf adults. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's also a musical term, which is like, so it's like a double, double Ooh, meaning there. A double entendre. Double entendre. Double d'entente. Yeah. An Apple TV original film, but they didn't uh, produce it. They just bought it out because this film made massive waves at, I think it was Sundance. We're talking like it was highly celebrated. And then it created a bidding war. This is a $10 million film, the budget anyway, reported. And it caused a insane bidding. Steven's like holding his mouth to keep from bursting out into laughter right now. Not just laughter, but also sheer horror. Incredulous just hysteria. Terror. Yeah. But it, it created a bidding war amongst all the major platforms. And Apple TV ended up winning it for twenty five million because they desperately need some something to get back, you know, in the race and ace in the hole because you know, Netflix and Disney Plus and HBO and all the big dogs are just running away with it right now. Uh huh. Comparatively. Yeah. Amazon Prime. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Apple uh, bought this film, and I can't think of a better place for this film to go, Stephen, than Apple Plus, <laughs> personally. Um, because Apple Plus, oh man, we're really shitting on this film. <laughs> we'll Apple Plus we'll, is we'll come full circle. I'll say a few th- nice things about it later. <clears throat> yeah. So as I did earlier when we covered it briefly. There's some there's some quick facts on for a you. Separate episode about this film. Yeah. Who dri- who directed it? <laughs> It is, man, they really just don't make it easy for me when they name their children, <laughs> these creative people. This woman's name, sight reading it, phonetically, we're going to go with Sian Hader, Sian he- Heater. Sean? Maybe it's Sean. Is that John Heater's sister? No, I don't think there's any relation. I did I did do some- Heater discovery. Some light digging. She directed this film. She wrote and directed it. It's actually a adaptation of a French film. Oh. Um, from seven or eight years ago. Well, here's the funny thing about the French film. It caught a lot of flack when it came out because they had hearing people playing mm. the part of some of the deaf characters. Oh. And that was, uh, there was there was much ado about that. That's a no-no. Yeah, it's like, why would you do that? If Sound of Metal, you know, and recent films have taught us anything, it's that, you know, deaf people can act just fine. <laughs> They're just regular people. You can hire them. You know, it's crazy. But yes, so it's a, it's an adaptation of a French film. But she, Sion, I'm just going to call her Sean, I think. How about Sean? Miss Heater. We'll go with Miss Heater. Yeah. She wrote, she drafted the screenplay for this one and then she directed it as well. So this was her brainchild. Yeah. And who shot it? Who's the cinematographer? Because if there is one thing about this film... It definitely was shot proficiently. Yep. And her name, the cinematographer, is Paula. Oh, God. Can we just go with first names? <laughs> no. <laughs> Paula Huidobro. And she has worked on Barry, which is one of my favorite series right now. Coming back soon. Us uh, coming back in a, like a month. Barry's <laughs> actually got some pretty awesome cinematography. She's worked on Fargo and Dave, physical. Some good stuff. Ooh, Pam and Tommy. So... Yeah, she's good. The composer was Marius DeVries, who worked on La La Land in the music department. I did like the music. Yeah. Gerard Brisson was the editor. Production design, Diane Lederman. You want some producers? No. Just keep throwing out names. Let's move to the cast. Talk about the cast. The cast is important. Carried by Amelia Jones as Ruby Rossi. She is the hearing child in this film of the death, the death family. The deaf family. The Adams family. 
She is the protagonist who is trying to find her way in the world. And uh, Aren't we all? Yeah, she has a lovely voice. I want to say that was her voice. Because <laughs> she's a singer in the film. Yeah, she did sing well. Her father, Frank Rossi, was played by Troy Kotzer. The brother, Leo, was played by Daniel Durant. And the mom? Marley Matlin. And who, pl- who played the boyfriend? That kid. Or the guy interest? It's Ferdia Walsh-Pilo. Oh. And he's, he's been around. He was in Sing Street a few years ago. That's right. I liked Sing Street a he's lot. He's even been in Vikings, which is weird because he's, like, he's a young kid. He's only like 21, 22. And who was the music teacher who was Ooh. the best part of the film? Yes, that was Eugenio Derbez as Bernardo, the music teacher. It is the scenes with the music teacher. Okay. He was great. Yeah. So what else should we say? What do you think about the editing? The editing was good. Do, and you, <laughs> did you like the cinematography? Uh, yeah, it was fine. It's, it, it didn't, nothing wowed me really. Did the score stick out to you? Uh, I feel like it might have at the time, but I can't remember. And I watched it yesterday. I watched you watch it. It was 24 heard, hours ago. I heard you laughing. Oh, I do that. A lot. I've been known to laugh. In a sadistic way. No. Um, Yeah. What were your feelings about the movie? I was laughing, not... Okay. Are we getting into it now? (laughs) Well, I don't know what else to do, because I can't can't talk about it without talking about it. Full spoilers ahead. Yeah. Full ships Let's Let's just maybe briefly mention the plot. Oh, okay. (sighs) Because there was a story. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Steven. Um... Like we said, this film revolves around the... A child of deaf adults. Youngest girl of a deaf... Death family. <laughs> the youngest girl God. of a deaf family, <laughs> who is the only one of her mother, father, brother, who can hear. This is really just death note. <laughs> and this is... Yeah. That's funny on multiple levels. <laughs> so she has some unique struggles. Uh, she's, a, I think, a senior in high school, and she's getting ready to graduate and go to college. Yeah, but she, she's probably not going to go to college because she has to help out with the family's fishery. Fisher, or fishery, fishing. Her her dad is a fisherman. Yeah. Um, but one of the plot points of the show is that business is not good there, so they end up starting their own ma and pa fish outlet. You know, they it's like sell a, their it's fish. straight to uh, straight to um, it's water to table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No fish, fish to table. Uh, and that kind of affects her plans because she is discovering her love for singing. And she is getting involved with her choir at school. And that's where she, that's where the more interesting parts of the film happen. She has this relationship with both this kind of mentorship that she has with her music teacher and uh, her love interest, who is a boy in the class that she ends up being paired with because of a duet they're going to sing together. So as the story goes on, she gets to interact with her family (laughs) and try to convey to them that. She has uh, her own life, and she's got to follow her dreams, or else, you know, what's the point? Yeah. But she ends up sticking it out with her family until a point, and, like, she ends up chasing her dreams and <laughs> goes to college for music. <laughs> Your mom goes to college. <laughs> <laughs> she did. So that's just a brief overview. This film is... What? Are you, tell me what you thought. I think... We should just say up front, in case it hasn't been clear, Steve and I were not thrilled with with this film. I was not as I didn't I didn't hate it as much, but I didn't sh- hate it. You hated it. <laughs> I didn't hate it. 
It I, sounds like you hate it. I don't think I hate any movie. I should say. Any let me movie, just really? let me just explain my feelings. Okay, elaborate. It's 2002. Oh, you just saw going back. <laughs> <laughs> you just saw Mandy Moore. Oh. in the hit romantic classic A Walk to Remember. A few months later, A Walk to Remember is nominated for Best Picture. Was it really? Your mind is blown because Literally. how could such a film be nominated for the Best Picture mm-hmm. when the highest grossing picture of that year was... Tell me it was Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah. Yet, Spider-Man wasn't nominated. A Walk to Remember was nominated. Well, and is this a surprise? Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying... Here we are again. In 2022. In 2022. It's 20 years later. (laughs) Spider-Man was not nominated for Best Picture. It's a tragedy. But was the highest grossing film of last year. And it's like top five or six of all time now. And I walk to remember, uh, but in the form of a different movie, same exact things happen. Basically, except she doesn't get cancer and die. What? Yeah. I walk to remember (laughs) might be a better movie. But like, is that what happens? Yeah, I haven't seen that. By movie. the way, I know a walk to remember was not nominated for best picture <laughs> in 2002. I was creating a hypothetical scenario, right? In where a walk to remember would be nominated in 2002 and not Spider Man, and that is exactly what we have here. That's the dankest timeline. But anyway, <laughs> I think you're making a bad case. No, I'm making the exact like the Academy doesn't care about money. Like, it's like, not about money. It's about it being a better movie. It then, and, and so I like. Well, apparently, a lot of people like to watch. Watch Remember is fine, but like a lot of people like Green Book. The only way this film wins Best Picture is on a technicality. I, I think I'm having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh my god. Here's the thing about Coda, guys. Listen to me. I'm gonna get real close to the mic. I want you to listen to me. It's 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 fine. It's a movie. It's a film. Yeah. It was a movie. It, I it will continue to be let it happen to me. <laughs> I, I only <laughs> let it happen because Steven made me watch it. But here's the thing. It's not a bad movie. Okay? Here okay, so let's let's kind of dig into it a little bit. Performances, I think, are where we have to start with this film. Because I want to yeah, say before we even get into the deaf actors, Amelia Jones, incredible. She pretty much, for me at least, carried this film on her back. I think that's her name. Yeah, Ruby. She can sing. She can act. She, and could dance, she could dance. Yeah, and she's she's young, too. She hasn't even been in very much stuff, but she's got a bright future ahead of her. And she really sold the emotion of this film. And I don't know if it was because of the rest of the cast didn't really do it for me, but she really shone bright. And I think this film is worth seeing for her performance alone. Now, for the rest of the cast, both the hearing and the non-hearing actors, it was pretty uh a lot of surprising choices i think and i want to chalk that up to the directing because there are moments in this film there are tender moments that show the depth of the performances that are possible from these these actors but i think between the writing and the directing there was a a lot of the humor in this film didn't land for me it was what i would call i don't like using the word cringe but i did cringe (laughs) several times it's just it didn't it didn't work for me personally i don't want to say it was just not good (laughs) because clearly this film has had a lot of positive response and here's why i think that is obviously the first thing being it's a film about deaf people and not to say like we're pandering to, to like a demographic here but 
whenever the story is <clears throat> or the setting is like tied to either like a physical disability or like a like a, an underrepresented people group, I guess you could say, whether that's like like I said, a physical disability or a racial thing or a sexual identity thing. There's already like a degree of clout, I think, as long as it's handled respectfully and tastefully, you already have like um, an edge, I think, against the game. Like, for instance, if this film was, well, I guess there wouldn't really be a story here if they weren't a deaf family, but I don't know. That's the first thing that comes to mind when I think about why this film has a lot of pull to it, to the critical response, which has been like way super overwhelmingly positive, like I said. But also just, it's really just a proficiently you know, told coming of age story. It's just a lot of the, a lot of the dressing, I guess, just didn't work for me. I don't know. The, a lot of the characters kept getting on my nerves, like especially the parents. They were so moronic and this had nothing to do with their disability, but they were moronic, not because of their lack of hearing, but because they were just like, and I, I you know, it's, it's intentional because we're trying to, you know, both have levity in a film like this and also create that antagonistic force for our main character to move against but i don't know it just it was i think it what it honestly for me i think what it boils down to is it broke my immersion at several points throughout the film because the parents were so moronic i think yeah i do want to say in defense a little bit to that point is that from what i could tell i grew up on the same street as a kid who i used to hang out with all the time whose mom was deaf deaf people are sort of like and they kind of showed this in the, the movie a bit, especially when she starts singing and they couldn't understand what everyone was like smiling at and, mm-hmm. and, you know, clapping for and stuff like that. They're kind of like in their own kind of bubble. And, and I think that's, that's kind of what we saw with the parents. Uh, yeah. I did think about that while watching the film. Is it, I don't want that. It might even sound just ignorant saying something like that because I don't have like yeah. the perspective, the world experience sure. of having a disability like that. So it might even be, you know, almost like if we we're talking about uh, like a Korean film or something, and there are certain cultural subtleties that are lost, not just in translation, but we just can't, we can't really connect with and empathize with mm-hmm. because there's such a, a difference in like experience. So yeah, it's totally possible that I'm, I'm just missing out on something there, but and it if it wasn't like a huge problem for me because especially towards the end, uh, I re like in the in the final climactic like series of events between Ruby having her concert at the school and then her audition for Berkeley, those qualities to the family really created a f- fantastic and fascinating um, like dynamic in the scene. Mm-hmm. And I did love that, like when like you said they're looking around and they they just can't connect with what's happening around them yeah um that was honestly really sad and i i almost got a little emotional because they can't enjoy yeah that moment that ruby is like yeah doing for them i do have to say i did like the brother a lot and and his kind of journey in the film his story arc yeah. where he was constantly he was constantly frustrated and prone to starting fights and stuff like that. I think the brother is low key, the most complex character in the film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I love what just the bar scene where he goes and orders a drink and sits down and he, you know, he tries to join a conversation and can't like, yeah. you know, it's, it was just like, you really felt a lot of what the brother went through. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the thing that really fell off for me in this film was Ruby's story. It felt like a really interesting film about deafness with this really strange, like teenage CW love story. Yes. And that's Hallmark that. Yeah. And that's exactly, there was literally like a 10 minute scene where she was like, just flirting with a guy alone in a lake. And I was like, this movie because of that, like that. And, and a lot of that stuff is really cutesy and there's a way to do it. Well, I see what you're saying. I, I just couldn't, I could not connect with the emotion of the teenage love scenes and, and Ruby's whole journey. I was charmed by her as an actress, I should say. And like, I really did like her voice, like you mentioned. And I liked the scenes where she had the dynamic with her music teacher and she kept letting him down and he seemed like such a good dude. And (laughs) yeah, but, and so I, I was charmed by her and her voice, but the character arc in the film was, uh, not good. It, like it wasn't it wasn't compelling to me at it was all underwhelming yeah and even even as i could think back on my and reflect on my time in high school which i do often in troubles i had there feelings of your coming of age. escapism and coming of mm-hmm. age i couldn't connect at all with that journey and so it just felt really hyper realistic and just disconnected for me yeah and i that i think that was the worst part of the film to be honest and that's why that's why as soon as i got done watching it I just kind of just wrote it off like it's just there. Like it's just a movie that happened. And I really hope we don't have to discuss about on the podcast, which we did for like a brief second in one episode. But I thought you watched it after you knew it was nominated. No, oh. I watched it long before. But yeah. And so I, I just kind of wrote it off as like another just a thing. crappy romance film. No way would I ever think that it could be nominated for Best Picture. Like I am blown away. And. Jimmy Kimmel was the one that brought up the point for Spider-Man and, and versus Coda. He didn't he didn't explicitly say Coda, but I think it's deeply implied in the statement that he said, where he said something to the effect of, how can a movie be the highest grossing film of the year, be extremely enjoyable, breaking all these records, especially for like COVID cinema time, and be an actual enjoyable film that everybody kind of unanimously loves and not get nominated for best picture. And then other, and then he says, and then like other movies that are worse films end up nominated for best picture. Well, that's the thing is that I think most people would say they enjoyed this film. (laughs) If, if just these numbers that are coming out are any indication, like the ratings are high across all these different. But I think, I think there's something there. The thing that Jimmy Kimmel was kind of kind of trying to say was that when did the Oscars become something about like it has to be drama, it has to be so serious. I, I'm just saying it used to be such that fun movies or or different kinds of offbeat movies would be nominated alongside the dramas, and now all we ever have are dramas. And I'm using Coda as the dramatic example to the one side of the spectrum here because I think if you look at all ten of the films, this arguably is just like not the best out of the 10 it's probably in the lower half if not at the absolute bottom yeah i'd have to look at the list again but i can't i know the list off the top of my head i just can't imagine one of those movies being yeah yeah a worse movie and yeah and like you said it's not the worst movie in the world it's just 
It's just it's there. just there. Yeah, it's just a movie, and I'm not even whelmed by it. I am underwhelmed by it, but I, I, <laughs> I think am, I think especially compared to the hype, I'm, I'm very. I'm starting to think it's an us problem, Stephen, because I think we're constantly looking for something that's going to push, you know. Well, no, I mean, I'm also looking to just enjoy a film like West Side Story. I enjoyed, and it doesn't do anything new or push the boundaries, but you know that that's a it's a good movie it's well deserving of its spot in the best picture category coda is like it's just like a a random movie about something that like yeah to me it's like it's like if fast and the furious got nominated super fun movie uh-huh. cute whatever but just it got nominated for best picture it's like you gotta be kidding me i yeah. can't believe that happened when spider-man was clearly a more objectively better movie <laughs> At least for me, it's hard not to compare it with something like The Sound of Metal because of the... Yeah. Well, Sound of Metal did it better. The commentary. Yeah, Sound of Metal was in super good. It was an actual kind of art film. And you can like, break down every... We like to talk about like the technical proficiency of a film, but like every aspect of that was so good in Sound of Metal. Yeah. And it was just like kind of lacking, I think. It didn't, it didn't wow me in the way I wish it did. Sound of Metal? No, no, no. This one. Coda. It, there was a cool moment that I was hoping it would do towards the end where it cut the sound, you know, and it gave you that. Yeah. That. Uh, Understanding. Yeah. But I mean, like as, as a viewer, that experience of like mm-hmm. really impressing you with like yeah. a, a creativity that I think just wasn't there for most of the film. So I don't want to keep beating a dead horse. I agree. Well, I mean, it, it could be an us problem. Not that this film is a dead horse. It's not an underdog, I think, or a dark it's horse. It's not an alive horse. It's not a dark horse. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, again, I'd have to take another look at the uh, the films in that category, but it's probably going to be at the bottom of the list for both of us if we were to just kind of I mean, off the cuff rank I, the, them. The other ones, okay, the other ones that I've seen that we didn't do episodes on because I didn't feel like they were worth doing episodes on, and now they're nominated for Best Picture, were also King Richard and we still haven't seen drive my car at this point so but king richard i can say is a much better movie than coda like so much better i don't know you had an interesting point about the oscars but this honestly it feels to me like kind of part of the course where the more ambitious choices are not brought in you know like 2019 is a great example like you had all these films like the lighthouse which are not going to get to, but yeah, I guess the I guess the reason the reason I see where you're going. I guess the reason I'm so upset, I guess, by this is that is that it feels it feels like not even a less ambitious film. It just feels like another movie that came out this year. It's like you might as well have just nominated a Hallmark film for Best Picture. That's how it felt. That's how yeah. it feels to me. Yeah. And so it almost kind of is insulting. <laughs> well, it is a mystery. That is to be sure. Uh, one that we will probably never unravel, but it's fine because it makes... I do know that I know a couple, I should say older white people that are, like we're talking mid-70s, almost pushing 80 white people who were like, this was the best movie of the year. And and they're the, they're yeah. probably the people that were voting for this movie, like thinking, because they were so charmed by it. Well, that is the Academy, is it not? The dem- like the- I don't know. I feel like a lot of there's a lot of voices being represented now. It's not it's not just old white people, but I I do think that like you kind of gotta be. Sounds like they didn't see Spider Man. <laughs> you kind of gotta be. I don't know how to say this unless I think about it. Out of touch. 
no dumb no because i don't <laughs> think those people are out of touch or dumb i foolish I, <laughs> I think what i'm trying to say is that um you have to be longing for another time for a past time for a more like simple time and that's kind of what this movie represented a very simple acute journey about a young girl I mean, even just the setting, like it the, felt like notebook or something, you know, like it just felt like, I don't know. There's that blue collar, like port town. That's just trying to get by, you know, with their humble yeah. business and yeah. like the man is stepping on them and they're just like, yeah, it's a really interesting angle that we didn't even really touch on, but like, and I that, can totally see that playing a, a role. Yeah, and I think people liked it and nominated it for, because it's just like, oh, it's got that really charming, like cutesy feel a little bit of whimsy and i'm just like i think people honestly i think people were kind of duped by this movie because of just the setting alone and the the backdrop perhaps yeah i don't know but again at the end of the day to each his own you know everybody has different (laughs) tastes and that we're i'm not here to demean anyone for enjoying coda because uh because it does have that sweetness to it and if that's what you're looking for you know, if that's all you want is just that feeling that the film gives you, that's fine. Yeah, but this is probably, out of all the episodes you've ever done, I should just say, as we wrap up here, this is probably the least uh, cult podcasty movie we ever have done. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's probably why <laughs> we're feeling the way And we're it's feeling. an Oscar-nominated film. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait till it wins. <laughs> might even not have the ceremony but it's going to be like are the dogs go on up there and get it and then it's going to be like coda <laughs> why wouldn't we have a ceremony i mean there's always a new covid strain rolling around is there another one i don't know china's blowing up right now with yeah. uh new covid the new the hot new covid just dropped you check it out <laughs> new strain out now back to the quarantine <laughs> are you ready to get your boosters booster I'm gonna have so many shots. Too bad. <laughs> the new hot strain drops, and you have to like update your. It's not like the the vaccine is like gonna update itself, <laughs> unless you got the 5G vaccine.